Hi, I'm Kavita Maharaj, and I am an artist in the Star Trek universe, and you're listening to Trek Untold. Hello and welcome to Trek Untold, the Star Trek podcast that goes beyond the stars. I'm your host, Matthew Kaplowitz. One of the things I really like to do on this show is to explore the artistic side of Star Trek. And it's not exactly something I can do very easily here. Just recently, I spoke to Jeffrey Newberry to talk about his Star Trek photography for magazines. I've spoken with various makeup artists and special effects people. We've had some chats with visual effects people as well. So we've looked at a lot of different types of art, but we haven't really talked to any artists on this show yet who are maybe a little bit more traditional in their approach to the arts. Enter this week's guest, Kavita Maharaj, whose work you've probably seen all over social media. To put it simply, Kavita paints Star Trek things, but it goes far beyond that because we're not just talking some kind of fan art that you're seeing on Twitter or things like that. No, Kavita is in fact an officially licensed artist of Star Trek. This means that Paramount is not only aware of what she does, but very much approves it and is a part of the process. And if you're not familiar with Kavita's work, it's absolutely fantastic. Her work blends elements of realism with the cosmos in a very Star Trek kind of way to create some very, very fascinating portraits. And I think fascinating is the most important word to use here because she is a huge fan of Spock. And Spock is very much a big influence in the way she approaches a lot of her work, which also in turn leads into some other interesting stories about her, which I didn't really know beforehand. But besides being a painter, Kavita is also a yogi. So when we talk about some ideas here that come together in very unique ways, I can't think of anything more unique than painting, yoga, and Star Trek. And somehow, all three of those things work together to make Kavita the artist who she is. And this is something that I also don't really get to talk a ton about on this show either, but my background is in fact in illustration. So for me to be able to talk one-on-one with an artist like Kavita, it's a lot of fun. It's an avenue that I really don't get to cross very much on this podcast. So we're going to be talking about tools of the trade. We're going to talk about how her process is, and more so how her fandom and how her yoga and all of her spiritual beliefs tie into the work that she does. For me, it's a real treat because, hey, I like talking about art and I don't get to do it very often. So I'm hoping that you guys are going to also enjoy nerding out with me on something that is really fun to talk about, and that's painting. It's a wonderful form of self-expression, and I'm sure a lot of you listeners out there are also maybe big on the arts. You might like to paint or draw or sculpt, or maybe you just like going to museums and just enjoying these pieces as a spectator. There's no wrong way to partake in the art world, and I think talking with Kavita today, you're going to maybe get a different appreciation and a new understanding for the way that she works, and maybe for just how art works in general, and the way it works together as well with the mind and body. So class is in session because we're talking art today with Kavita Maharaj. But before we start talking to this week's guest, I want to remind you guys to make sure you are following Trek Untold on all forms of social media. You can check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram all at Trek Untold, and that's one word, Trek Untold, no spaces in between. That's the best way to stay up to date on who our guests are for the week, learn all about them before the show begins, and check out all the random memes I post, because yeah, I do a lot of that too. If you're in a position to financially support the show, please consider becoming a Patreon member. Head over to patreon.com slash trekuntold to see all the different ways you can help financially at different contribution levels. Some of the perks include early access to the episodes, having the chance to ask guests questions, and hopefully some more stuff that I'm going to figure out pretty soon. It is easily the best way to directly connect with me, as well as to meet other fans of this show. If you're looking to buy some Trek Untold merchandise, don't worry, that's going to be coming very soon. If you prefer to check out the video version of this podcast, head over to youtube.com slash nerdnewstoday, where every Sunday I post these episodes in video format, which includes a lot of images and video from the guests that we're talking to. 
But the most important thing you can do to help support this show is please leave us ratings and reviews if you're checking us out on iTunes, on Spotify, or other audio platforms that allow you to leave reviews and ratings, or by subscribing to our YouTube channel, as well as giving our Trek Untold videos thumbs up, likes, and comments. All these interactions help push our podcast to the very top of these different platforms to make sure more Star Trek fans can find us. It costs you nothing to do other than a few moments of your time, so please, if you haven't done that already, consider doing so. So, without further ado, let's go ahead and beam up this week's guest. Computer, access interview file. And welcome back to Trek Untold, and we are now joined on the other side of the screen by, well, I think our very first painter here on this podcast, which is really exciting. We are joined today by Kavita Maharaj of Retrospect Studios. Kavita, how are you today? I'm doing pretty well, Matthew. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for joining us today. And just, you know, for the folks who are watching the video version, they get to see right now a preview of all the really wonderful paintings we're going to be talking about today. So if you are one of the folks listening to the audio version, you are missing out. You might want to head over to YouTube for this one. Uh, but yeah, Kavita, I'm very excited to talk to you because, you know, I don't know if you know this, uh, but I'm an art school student myself. I went to school for illustration. Uh, these days, you know, I mostly do video editing and videography, but I went to school for fine arts, basically. So uh, again, it's nice to talk to someone who's also in that realm. So I got a lot of questions and uh, we're going to definitely pick your brain as we go on to this show. <laughs> Well, I will do my best to answer them. How's that? I'm sure you'll do perfect. So, yeah, I'm not too worried about you at all. It's me who's, like, so blanked out in all these things. I haven't said these terms in years. Not at all. Well, I mean, one of the things I have to admit um, that, that, you know, isn't great is that when I think back to art, I have to admit that I didn't learn that much in school. (laughs) And I loved school. I really loved school. But when it came to art, I, I think actually most of my progress came afterwards painting on my own after i graduated from university hmm, okay well, we're gonna definitely talk about that because i know we both had the art school experience it sounds like so we can definitely uh, yeah. talk about that <laughs> that that yeah we'll get to that uh kavita let's jump in though with the first question i like to ask all my guests here and that's what's your earliest memory of star trek oh my goodness well uh, let me just say to you first of all that uh i did not grow up in north america i am canadian born um but i grew up in the caribbean and uh, in the west indies and I remember seeing Star Trek as a kid in the West Indies. So, and, um, you know, at that time we had two channels <laughs> and one of them only came on at 6 p.m. in the night and it only showed the news for a couple of hours and then that was it. So we had one, one channel at that point. Um, and it actually happened to show Star Trek. So I remember this probably as young as I'm going to say six or so is when I first started watching Star Trek. Wow, so at a very young age, and that, that's, that sounds like it's almost like fate, right? To have that one channel that happens to have Star Trek, and here we are now talking about Star Trek paintings. Yes, well, I, you know, I, I'm, I actually had that, that question in my own head. It was like, what comes first, right? Like, when did you love to, 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 did you learn to love this thing because you loved other things, or did you learn to love other things because you loved Star Trek? I don't know, right? But it's definitely intrinsically a part of who I am now. So you mentioned just now where you grew up, and that's part of usually my follow-up question, which is tell us about where you grew up, um, who your parents were and what they did, and what little Kavita wanted to be when she grew up. (laughs) Well, um, my parents, um, so I I will say that um, I have a stepfather, and um, I I will refer to him as my dad, um, but I also have uh, a father, my biological father, who is a yogi. So there's my father and there's my dad. Okay. And they both have a, a big place in my life. So 
my father, the yogi, um, has had a massive influence in who I am today. Um, I mentioned to you, you know, earlier when we were chatting that um, I actually run a yoga studio. I, too, am a yogi. And for those of you who don't know, um, yogis are basically people who, who live their life by a philosophy of moderation and this idea of, like, that the universe is just energy. And um, so my father was a yogi and he introduced me to yoga when I was a kid. So I was probably about three, four years old when he introduced me to yoga. And so that's been a big part of uh, who I am and also even why I love Star Trek. And because there's a lot in, in yoga that really focuses on being a noble human being, being an evolved human being. And um, so for me, the character of Spock has always spoken to me uh, through that lens of yoga, through that lens of being an evolved human being. Uh, my dad, as in my stepfather, uh, both he and my mom actually were science teachers. And so... <laughs> I see where this is going already. <laughs> yeah, so there's a little bit of that, that cohesion that we start to see there. But interestingly enough, um, my parents, as in my mom and my dad, were not supportive of my love of Star Trek, to be honest. Um, I, I'm not sure 100% why, but it really used to really get under my dad's skin. Now, I will say that since I've entered into the world of Star Trek through my art, my dad is probably one of my biggest supporters. <laughs> So isn't that how it always goes? It's like, you know, they're always like, how are you going to make money doing this? Then you do. And you're like, oh, okay. well, I guess that way. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I will will even say that that was the case with my yoga as well. And you're right. I think there's a a natural inclination within a lot of parents to be like, well, how are they they going to stand on their own two feet? And so to try to push back against things that they don't can't foresee where it's going to go, how it's going to work out. Um, But I'm actually a big believer in doing that, which you love and that other stuff will come. Right. And that's what's happened with my life. So, I mean, as you were a little kid, were you like trying to be a full-time yogi? Was that your plan? Or like, when did you discover the art could be a thing for you? Well, um, I really enjoyed drawing and painting and whatnot when I was a kid. And I remember I was eight years old. And I was in class. I was in my in a class at school, and I picked up a pencil with my left hand. I'm right-handed. I picked up a pencil, and I was using my right hand to draw my hand holding this pencil. And I, I remember my teacher. Her name was Mrs. Keith. Mrs. Keith came over and she looked at what I was doing. And first of all, I'm shocked I didn't get in trouble for drawing in class. <laughs> But she looked at it and she was really impressed with it. And she said to me, she said, wow, you're really good at this. She says, I want your first painting. (laughs) And I I always stuck in my head because it was the first time that someone had expressed uh, a thought that this would go somewhere in the future. Um, So, and, you know, my my parents were supportive of my drawing and painting the way all parents are supportive of their kids' drawings and paintings, right? But that was the first time an adult looked at my work and went, there's something here and it's going to go somewhere. And like I said, I was about eight, I was eight years old at the time. Um, My father, the yogi, actually um, was very supportive of, of whatever it is that I wanted to do. He never tried to sway me one way or the other, which, again, is very yogic. (laughs) It's your life and you get to do what you want to do with your life. right? So um, so I actually found him to be very supportive, but in that neutral way that didn't push me towards one thing or away from it. 
But I will say you asked the question as to, you know, did little Kavita want to be, you know, grow up and become a yogi? And the answer is no. Little Kavita wanted to understand her father. Mm. And uh, so, you know, I am a child of divorce, right? So um, my there was my father who I didn't live with anymore. And I really wanted to know who he was. And he was this this it wasn't it wasn't something he came upon every day he was this yogi right and so for me i uh, at first entered onto the path of yoga in order to try to understand him more and then as time went along it became about understanding myself it was no longer about understanding him and understanding his path and the choices he he'd made but rather understanding myself and the choices i made which again really kind of um plays out in my love of Star Trek because the main character that drives me is, is Mr. Spock. And I should say it's Leonard Nimoy Spock is the main character that drives me. And, you know, when I'm doing any of my paintings, especially of him, that's the question that's always going through my head. It's like, what is it to be a noble human being to, to make the difficult choices? And what type of uh, pain or challenge do you have to overcome in order to do what is right? And so that's the question that's always in my mind when I'm I'm doing one of my my paintings. Who is this person and what do they struggle with to be noble in the world? Well, you know, there's a lot to be said here about art therapy, too. And, you know, Kavita, on, on the show, too, you know, we are a Star Trek-centric show, but we always go far beyond just Star Trek. And uh, we like to kind of dig deep into the, the psyches of our guests. And, you know, in this case, you're saying you want to, like, explore who your father was and uh you know i'm kind of wondering you know how did you use art at that time period or if you used art at that time period to kind of do basically your own version of art therapy for yourself to kind of figure things out and i ask this question too because you know for the most part the public sees your star trek work we don't really know much i think what's behind that person i'd like to hear a little bit about you know more about uh who's the artist behind the pieces yeah well um you know i i will say that and i have to admit that i haven't written anything in a while but on the retrospect studios uh website I do actually have a blog. And when I first started, I would write certain blog posts. And part of it was to show fans who, who the artist was behind this and, you know, what, what it was I was grappling with or what was important to me, et cetera. Um, and, and perhaps after our, our podcast, it might inspire me to go back and create another, another post. Right. But um, I think that every single human being, is guided by a set of values. And that those values are specific to that human being. So my values may not be the same as yours, right? And we all have kind of a, a, a few of our quote unquote highest values. And uh, so those are the things that really matter to us in the world. And we're meant to basically go through our lives trying to, uh, to, to hold to those values, trying to manifest those values. And when we don't, we suffer guilt, we suffer, uh, we suffer, right? We suffer guilt, we, we feel, um, we feel shame, we feel all those things. Um, and so whenever we're faced with any experience in our life, any decision in our life, one of the most important things we can ask ourselves is, what do I actually value? What's most important to me in this? And I'll give you an example, Matthew, that might be uh, interesting to Star Trek fans. Um, probably about three or so years ago uh, when I wasn't yet working with what was CBS now is Paramount. Um, I was just doing these paintings for myself. It was actually Spock I was painting. So I was actually painting a series of Spock paintings and it was purely for myself. Uh, 
But then I decided that I really wanted to share this with uh, other Trekkies. So I started an anonymous Instagram account. So I didn't put my face, I didn't put my name, right? I just started putting out photos of my paintings as I was doing it, just because I wanted to share it with other fans. And very quickly, I started getting fans contacting me saying, how can I buy this? I want to buy this. How much is this, right? And, it was, and I kept saying, I'm really sorry. These are labors of love. They're not for sale. I'm, and I kept repeating it, repeating it, repeating it. And then uh, a friend of Leonard Nimoy's contacted me and wanted to buy the paintings as well. <laughs> and I told him exactly the same thing I said to every single other fan. But then I thought to myself, you know, I'm starting to feel a little selfish is what's happening. I actually started to feel guilty because I felt like I was just holding all this stuff for myself now. And so I decided, okay, I'm not willing to sell my originals, but maybe I'd be willing to sell prints. But because of my value system, I wasn't willing to do it under the table. And so I thought, I guess I'm going to need to contact CBS. And um, I really actually was a little terrified about contacting them. Because as I said to my husband, I said, the moment I contact CBS, I'm on their radar. <laughs> right? It's not always a good place to be. I speak from experience. Yeah. So I was like, um, so I actually uh, sent them an email. And then 12 hours later, they contacted me back. And they, uh, through, um, through what was a, a licensing company uh, in Toronto, and within a month, I had a contract with them, which shocked me that it all just kind of happened that quickly. Um, and I have to admit, again, one of the things was, it, how did I get there? Well, I got there by noticing what I valued and noticing when I wasn't kind of living up to my values. When I started feeling guilt, like I was being selfish, that was because I was starting to breach a value that I had. And then deciding that I wasn't willing to do it under the table. If I was going to do this, I was going to be above board because that's what I value. And so I look at the pathway that I've taken and where it's gone. And I'm very happy with where it's gone. And I, it's gone there by going, what are your values, right? Um, and so I, I look at that idea and I, I look at that with every single one of the characters. What is it that they value? I mean, you can see that I've got back there. There we go. I've got Khan back there, right? And we don't usually think about Khan as a noble human being. And he's not in a lot of ways. What he is is a human being who values something other than, let's say, Spock or Picard, or he's got different value systems, but he really adheres to them. Like he adheres to them to the point of his death, right? Um, and that actually in some ways can be admired. Whatever the person's values are, the fact that they're able to see them through to the end is actually important. Well, I definitely want to deep dive into the paintings a little bit here, but you know, we, we talked a little bit earlier uh, about the art school experience. And I kind of want to spend a few minutes on that too, because, you know, you're talking about what you learned or maybe what you didn't learn. And, you know, for me too, just kind of give you a little bit of my um, experience. It's kind of similar, I guess, where it was like, you're basically spending four years in this place where mo really the, the most important value you're getting is the fact that you're going to be surrounded by people who are like-minded uh, and you're going to be practicing every single day, basically in this environment that's there to nurture what you're doing. <laughs> so, you know, for me, it was basically trying to find the most valuable piece of information among just, you know, the utter chaos of multiple teachers telling you things that are constantly conflicting. You know, I, I, had, <laughs> I had one teacher who was like super into trying to get me to paint realistic. I had another who was trying to tell me, go all out, be more crazy with your stuff. And it's like, I got to find a balance because I got to get good grades. So, yeah, uh, you know, well. <laughs> so I'd like to hear, you know, if you, if you don't mind telling us uh, where you went to school and uh, just tell us I guess, a, little, a little bit about what you learned or what you picked up along the way. 
Absolutely. So um, I did my fine art degree at Queen's University, which is in Kingston, Ontario. So it's in Canada. And um, I remember when I was in high school and I was, you know, had to apply to, to go on for university and I was trying to decide, well, where do I go? Right. What do I do? What do where do I go? And I, I was one of those kids who um, who did basically all everything. So I did the I did the languages and I did the sciences and I did the the arts and, and that type of thing. So when it came time for the end of high school, it was like, OK, you've got options. So what do you want to do? And um, it, it came down to art for me. I, I wanted to create art. Um, and remember, I said that my father, the yogi, has always been very supportive, whatever it is you want to do. Um, I will mention that uh, everybody else tried to convince me not to go into art. <laughs> Fools. Yeah, yeah, they, because they, they basically thought you're going to starve, right? <laughs> and I remember my mother actually saying to me, why don't you become a dentist and you can draw teeth in your spare time was her self <laughs> I, I can't imagine a still life with teeth. That's just a level bizarre. I don't think you would have to do. So, you know, I remember going to a counselor at a completely different high school. It was a high school dedicated to art. So I decided, look, if I decide I'm going to go to art, into art, I'll go chat with them, find out where they suggest I go. And the counselor was very, very nice, very kind. And he was talking to me. And then he said to me, he said, how are you academically? And I said, I'm a straight A student. And he said, well, why don't you consider Queens? And the, when, then he said, you know, they only allow 30 students in a year and they're very difficult to, difficult to get into. Well, that was the thing he had to say to make me go, yeah, I'm going there. <laughs> right? He said they're very difficult to get into. And he just, just set a challenge. It's just my personality is to, be, to become excited about goals and challenges. Right. And so I ended up going to Queens University for fine art and it was a four-year uh, honors degree program and the nice thing like I said they only allowed you know 30 students in every single year so it was a small group that you you got to know but I what I saw after four years of art really was that they didn't teach a lot they kind of assumed you knew things and uh they gave you assignments to do, but they never explained what it was that you were doing. So if you didn't come from a, a background that gave you really good, let's say, color theory or whatever it is, you're kind of on your own in a lot of ways. Um, and so for me, what I found um, most, shall we say, helpful about going to university uh, was figuring out was figuring out how to not push so hard for myself. And what I mean by that is when I got into my last year of high school, not high school, sorry, but uh, last year of university, I would get up um, at about 530 in the morning. And uh, my boyfriend at the time, he and I were living together and I didn't want to wake him up. So I would sit in the dark with a little flashlight and eat my cereal because the cafeteria wasn't even open at that hour. Right. And then I'd go off to the studio and I would stay in that studio in the entire day up until about 10 p.m., only leaving to go grab dinner and lunch. And then I would come back and then I'd do it all again, day after day after day. So I worked really hard in my last year and I'm good at working hard. And then the year completed. And so I asked myself, so was that worth it? And it was devastating when my mind answered no. 
it was devastating. <laughs> and that was a huge life lesson for me because I'm good at working hard. I'm committed to what I do, etc. And so one of the most important things the university taught me was that working hard isn't always the answer, that it needs to be some form of balance in your life as well, that more work, more effort isn't always the correct route for, for you, right? I can very so. much feel that. Yeah. I mean, I, I can just think back to my senior year, especially kind of doing the same thing, kind of just overworking myself because it's my senior year. I got to do my big senior project mm -hmm. uh, and just doing so much and so much. And at the end of it, I'm like, I made a lot of stuff, but it's kind of the same stuff. I mean, there's things technically that have changed over yeah. four years, but I'm still looking at the stuff and I'm like, it's still kind of in the same vein. Like maybe I didn't push myself in a different way that I should have been pushing myself. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So one of the lessons you learned was that, you know, but you were so focused maybe on getting marked in a particular way that you actually lost sight of the fact that the things you wanted to do for yourself with your work, right? Yeah, so you exactly. limited yourself in order to, to achieve just this. And then you realize that wasn't as important to me ultimately, right? Exactly. So I think those, those things are, are hugely valuable to learn. They're not happy lessons to learn, but hugely valuable, right? But, you know, when I, I, I think about university, I don't regret it at all. But in terms of being an artist, I would say the majority, and when I say majority, I'm talking 90-something percent of what I've learned about art. I've learned by doing after school. Now, Kavita, what would you say would be the very first piece of art that you saw that spoke to you and maybe changed the way that you look at art? Hmm. You know... This is going back to high school. I think the Baroque pieces really, I loved the Baroque paintings. I could see that. I really loved the Baroque paintings. I think part of it was the drama and the drama that was created by lighting, right? Um, I still, in fact, I, I, I would have to say yes, because even as I'm saying this to you, Matthew, I can feel my heart kind of doing this. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that speaks to me, those Baroque paintings. But at the same time, I have a, a bit of an eclectic taste where art is concerned as well, because I also love Herodias Bosch. I don't know if you've ever seen his work, right? I love, I find that there's such humor in Herodias Bosch, which may sound a little weird if you've ever seen his work. Dark humor, maybe, but yeah, no, it's there. It's very dark humor, but it's dark humor in a way that I go, yeah, you know, I love to chat with you. I'd love to like get inside that little brain of yours and see what the world looks like to you. This is the work that you create. Then, you know, there were other things like Michelangelo. Um, he did gorgeous color work. If you've ever seen the Sistine Chapel, as an example, after it's been cleaned. So, you know, it was probably not that long before, while I was at university, it was not that long before that point that they cleaned the Sistine Chapel. Um, and so before they cleaned it, the colors were earthy and muted and whatnot. And then they cleaned it and you realize that's not what his color looks like at all. Right? His color looks more like Sulu back there. <laughs> okay. It's almost like the and, argument here with Trekkies talking about, you know, like on the screen Star Trek versus what you actually see in person kind of thing. Right? <laughs> like it looks one color on set, looks another actually on a TV screen. So, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. So I, I think um, I have a real appreciation for um, Michelangelo's color, but I really actually quite love the figure work of Leonardo da Vinci. 
So, especially when you start seeing some of his sculptures, like the Pieta, I don't know if you know the Pieta. That's yeah, it's it's just gorgeous. And I've seen that one in real life because I'd gone to to Europe after university, so I went to Italy and whatnot. And I remember standing in front of the Pieta, and it's just beautiful, and it's so smooth and so well done. And and so that's one of those. Uh, he's an artist where I I really admire him, and I admire his well roundedness. Right. The fact that his mind was scientific and mathematical and artistic. And, um, and this is going to sound, uh, this is going to sound, uh, egotistical, but it's not meant that way. His mind it reminds me of my mind. I'm just maybe not as skilled at it as he is, right? But it's like, that's how my mind works. So he excites me in that way because I go, this is what, if you just keep applying, yourself to being you this is what you can create in the world right and that by the way is what I love about Spock as well because again I see Spock as kind of like this is what this is what you can evolve to if you if you try to just be committed to your value system so I see that as well when I look at things like Leonardo's life work it's kind of interesting because you're talking about the Baroque work and that's I imagine primarily we're talking about Baroque portraits um, mm-hmm. Then you're also talking about like La Pieta and Michelangelo's work. And we're talking now classical pieces, traditional realism, and especially more figurative work. And I kind of want to bring that up because, you know, looking at your body of work for Star Trek in particular, it's very much portraiture and very little like full body kind of stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I guess I can understand where that influence comes from here with that work. But I guess my question with, with this case be, you know, how come there's not more pieces exploring the human body and exploring the form? And, and what's the emphasis on the portrait? What is it that attracts you to the portrait so much that that makes it really the emphasis of your Star Trek work? I, I think that's a great question. I find myself personally uh, absorbed in the question of who a human being is when I study their face, when I study their eyes, when I study the way they hold the muscles in their face. Because to me, a lot of the emotion uh, is, is held within here. Um, and I, I know, you know, we, we all have that, uh, that expression that says the, the eyes are the window to the soul. But uh, for me, really, there's a lot about a human expression that tells their story. Now, the, the actual overall body language absolutely does matter. And I mean, there have been certain uh, images of Leonard Nimoy as Spock where I'm like, the body language, right? Um, there's certain examples where I've seen other actors play Spock and I'm like, the body language isn't right. You know, so I, I do value body language, but I think when I'm, I'm painting, um, I'm, I'm painting a question about nobility, I really want to see the person's face. And this kind of comes down to, I think you've said in other interviews, and you said it earlier here too, about the who of the piece, right? This is kind of like <laughs> you figuring out the who. Uh, so I guess then to kind of go on top of that with another one word question for you, uh, why? Is it just the nobility that you're looking for? Like, what, what is the why with the who? Which sounds so, like a really bizarre question out of context, but I, I think you know where I'm going. I absolutely know where you're going. And and the short answer is self-exploration. So, you know, while I'm painting someone else, I am trying to paint a conversation between myself and them, as it were. I'm trying to paint a conversation in which I'm asking them, not only what is it to be them, but I'm actually trying to see myself, my own struggles, my own challenges, uh, you know, as a human being 
in that character. So, you know, and I've actually said this to my fans as well, is that when I do one of these paintings, this is not just a painting of Star Trek character. This is actually a self-exploration. I'm asking myself about me when I'm doing that painting. Um, so, you know, when I, I look at Spock, there's a, there's a particular episode, uh, Doomsday. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with it, <laughs> right? So um, I always remember this one scene in it where Commodore uh, Decker says, uh, basically, he takes over command of the Enterprise. He's decided he's going around the Enterprise down the throat of this thing. And Spock is currently in charge, and he pulls rank and decides he's going to take over the Enterprise. And they they give you a close-up on Spock, and they've done such a brilliant job at the timing in this particular episode because they stay on Spock. And what's going on with you as the viewer is you're like, is he going to get mad? Is he going to freak out? What's he going to do here? Like, this is stressful. What's he going to do here? And he's just very calm. His expression never changes. His body language never changes. And he just simply vacates the chair. And when, you know, people try to go, are you crazy? Like, you can't let him take over. He's very matter of fact about it, right? And that to me is such a powerful scene because I ask myself, like, look at me watching this episode and internally going, you can't let this happen. Like, I'm freaking out. And yet I'm watching this individual making a different choice. And this individual is making that choice and has enough, I'm going to use this word, faith in how things will always eventually play out to gamble everybody, including his own life on it, by giving up command, right? And so when I paint these images um, of the characters, and sometimes I actually paint images directly from an episode. So hang on one quick second. This is an example here, Matthew. Okay. Oh, very nice. Yeah, so this one I, I call the action because these guys, as far as I'm concerned, these guys are the action. <laughs> yes, and we have Kirk and, Sagak, uh, Kirk, and Sp- Kirk and Spock from a piece of the action there, folks who yes, are listening exactly. to the audio version. <laughs> so, you know, um, sometimes I will paint directly about an episode. And when I'm painting about an episode like I did here, now the question isn't just who are you, but who are you um, within the story? What within the specific challenges that occurs in this story, right? And so when I think about something like Doomsday, I definitely think about the fact that I probably would not have done as well as Spock, but I would like to have done as well as Spock. So for me, that goes, Spock represents uh, more of the ideal of who I am. Like I recognize myself in him and this is who I can aspire to if I watch my own my own weaknesses and my own failings and work on that. So that's your answer to the why. The why is that every single piece that I do is self-exploration and it is a way of me getting clearer on what my weaknesses are and acknowledging my strengths as well, right? Because I'm not always weak. So acknowledging my strengths, but my way of attempting to evolve myself forward into more of the ideal that I value. I spoke earlier about the idea that we all have values, evolving myself into my values. Trek Untold will return momentarily. Trek Untold is brought to you by Triple Fiction Productions. Triple Fiction Productions produces affordable and unique 3D printed Trek-inspired products from the original series, 
Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, and the movies. Ranging from prop replicas to use in a fan film or cosplay, to accessories or playsets for figures in all different sizes, Triple Fiction Productions has got you covered. Past pieces for toys have included large centerpieces, like 10 forward from the Enterprise D, shuttlecrafts complete with working lights, and the Voyager Bridge, with smaller pieces including Borg alcoves, the Genesis device, and the dreaded arch-enemy of Worf, barrels. All highly detailed products are 3D printed and hand-painted in the USA, with new items added all the time, while simultaneously improving their printing quality based on fan feedback. To learn more about their products, visit triple-fictionproductions.net or visit them on Facebook at facebook.com slash triplefictionproductions. Want to get 10% off your next purchase? Use code UNTOLD10 at checkout to receive this discount. Not applicable during sales or clearance events. That's code UNTOLD10 to get 10% off action figure dioramas, accessories, and prop replicas. Triple Fiction Productions, taking Star Trek where no 3D printer has gone before. Hey, I'm Licia Nav, a.k.a. Ensign Sonia Gomez from Star Trek TNG. And now, Captain Sonia Gomez on Lower Decks with her own ship, the Archimedes. Yay! I finally got a promotion after 25 years. So anyway, I'm here to talk about drivebydogooders.org. It's a little charity I run where we go to the outskirts of Skid Row, and from our car windows, we hand out basic human essentials like water, wipes, cold stream cheese, socks, tarps, masks, t-shirts, things to keep people warm. So we just think that everyone deserves clean water, some protein, and a way to clean themselves, especially during corona. We also hand out masks to those who really, really need it, who live in tents on the street, mainly the disabled and elderly who have a really hard time getting to services. And we do all of this with no agenda, just pure giving, no overhead. If you'd like to go to the website and donate, it's 100% tax deductible. And if you click on the donate button, you can go right to the $35 option and pick a signed autograph picture of either the Star Trek The Next Generation or Lord X or Total Recall, where I played the three-breasted mutant hooker on Mars, and uh, that's the X-rated version. Put in the comments section your address and anything you'd like me to write, and I'll personally inscribe it and mail it off to you immediately. And again, that's drivebydogooders.org. Ensign, I mean, Captain Sonia Gomez, signing off. We now return to Trek Untold. So, Kavita, we've been spending a lot of time in this interview so far looking at the artwork from this kind of spiritual, psychological perspective. But let's start to get a little bit technical now. And uh, I'd like to know if you can tell us a little bit about exactly what it is that you do. Uh, you can kind of just tell us about the medium, why you've chosen this particular medium, how you work. Um, let's, let's kind of just start with there. Just what's, what's the medium that you're doing with all these paintings here? These are all acrylic on canvas. Acrylic. Okay. So why acrylic? Why not oil? Why not gouache? Or, you know, like to me, in my head, they actually almost look like they could have been gouache. Uh, so why, why acrylic? <laughs> well, um, acrylic is very forgiving. That's the first thing. It's very, very f- forgiving, right? By that, um, I mean, it's very fast drying. Very fast drying. And if you don't like what you did, you can always paint on top of it, right? I'm not saying that there are no... Um, there are no repercussions for painting and then painting on top. It does change the quality of things, right? Um, but you can do that on, on like, let's say, uh, watercolor. Let's say we were looking at watercolor. Watercolor kind of demands that you know to a much larger extent where you're going. And I don't always, most of the time, I don't know where I'm going when I 
when I'm doing a painting. Like I have an idea as to what I, my subject is, like what I want to talk about. Um, and then I just start and then it evolves as I go. And um, and you can do that with watercolor, but uh, it is less forgiving. So you, you can't go about being like, yeah, I don't like that. Let me let me like let me pull that back. You know, you're going to have a lot more of that showing up in your piece if you're like, yeah, you know, I changed my mind on that, right? So um, the other thing is, it's not as toxic, generally speaking, as oils. Right. Oils are quite toxic, not just in terms of the fumes and the cleanup and like the varsol and stuff like that that you have to use. But bec- uh, oils uh, more easily attach themselves to the lipids in your skin. And so if you get oil paint on your skin, the chemicals that are in that oil paint very directly want to go into your system. I remember when I was um, when I was in high school. So when I was in high school, this is kind of jumping back a little bit. But. Um, remember I told you I grew up in the Caribbean? Yep. Well, I returned to Canada the day after I turned 13, we returned to Canada. Well, um, two weeks before school was supposed to start. Ah. <laughs> and my mother basically had to put us in school and then leave us again. She had to go back to the Caribbean. So uh, she was leaving, you know, the three kids uh, in Canada with my grandparents. So she had to get us into school and we were fortunate in that uh, my elder sister and I were allowed to enter into high school uh, because I was too technically too young for high school. So I was a little bit ahead when I started high school in Canada. And then after I did one year of high school, my art teacher suggested to me that I skip the next grade and then do grade 11. So I did that. And then I was intending to do grade 12, but I wanted to do a co-op placement as a graphic artist. And it wouldn't fit with my schedule for me to do grade 12. So I skipped grade 12 as well and um, ended up doing what we call OEC, basically grade 13 art. So by the time I was midway through high school, I'd finished all the art courses that were available because I kind of ended up fast tracking, but I loved art. So I started taking night classes. And I remember taking this night class with an artist. Her name was Bonnie Goss. And um, Bonnie strictly forbade anyone from painting in oils in her class. And she said, if you want to paint in oils, you're going to have to bring a tent and uh, basically um, ventilation system and whatnot with you. You're not allowed. And then she said, I painted in oils for 50 years until I started coughing up blood. And I, that always stuck in my head when she said that. She said, I painted in oils for 50 years until I started coughing up blood. So that's why it was not allowed in her classroom. And um, so I, I've always been very aware of the toxicity of oil paints. And it's, and it's also so much more messy for cleanup and whatnot. So that's why not oils. Although you said, you know, some of my pieces look like gouache. I've also been told by a lot of people that my paintings sometimes look like oil paintings because the they're a little richer than what you're used to seeing with acrylics. But I also love watercolor. So I tend to, to paint and I'll grab my, uh, grab my Picard because that will really kind of give you <laughs> actually i'll grab my uh, my doomsday here so i don't know if you can see this but i i tend to actually utilize my paints like their watercolors as well yeah i've noticed that because you know when we say that i think part of that is also um that you're using the white of the canvas to help yes. with the color, right so that's, that's kind of what we mean when you're using it. it's using it in a more watery way and also allowing the white of the natural canvas to kind of shine through and let it yeah. do a little bit of the work for you Yes, absolutely. Because what I, one of the things I found is that the white of the canvas is more white 
than white paint. Yes. <laughs> and so when I want something to be really bright, like in this in this doomsday, I've left the canvas completely exposed right in this area to get as white as I can get. And since uh, you're working in acrylic, too, you're not really priming the canvas either. Just basically you're staring to the canvas? Well, actually, the, the canvas is already primed. So you can see the side I haven't painted is okay. already primed, as opposed to there's the back of the canvas, which isn't primed. Can you see the color difference yeah. there? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I was going to ask, too, because I guess this answers the question, too, whether you stretch your own stuff or if you're buying them uh, pre-bought. So I, I get them pre, uh, pre-stretched and pre-primed. When I was at university, I used to prime my own canvases. And um, I found that very... Very hard on your hands. It's not a fun experience. <laughs> no, it's not. You're it's literally not. taking this wooden frame and pulling this very, very tight canvas, as tight as, even tighter than you can possibly get it, and then you uh, staple it. It's it's not fun, folks. If you haven't done it, don't do it. Absolutely. Well, and I'll, I'll give you a little a little for your your viewers and whatnot. If you are painting and you buy canvases and you, you get home and you open up your canvas and they're a little bit loose, a little slack. One of the things you can do is get a spray bottle, fill it with water, okay, turn it around, see how the back of my canvas wasn't primed, and just spray it with water and then let it dry. It tightens up. Okay, so a little, little quick tip. <laughs> I didn't know that tip, so that's great. Great advice. I'm stealing that one. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, let's talk a little bit more about the way you're working. So, you know, um, how do you like to start? Do you start with a little thumbnail? How much planning do you do? Where does basically the process begin, and how do you get to what is ultimately a finished piece like we're seeing behind you? Well, um, if I were painting, let's say, one of my portraits, what I do is I go looking for uh, an expression, a facial expression that speaks to me where I go, oh, I want to paint you. Like, oh, I want to have this conversation, right? Um, I will mention that I'm not someone who enjoys small talk. I'm sure you've met many people who don't like small talk, right? I hope, <laughs> right? But I'm, I'm not one of those people who like small talk. And um, I, I actually consider myself to be an introvert. And what that means is I will, like I said, I run a yoga studio. So I'll go and I will teach my students. and I'll give everything I've got when I'm training my teachers or training students and whatnot, give them everything I've got. But then once I'm done, it's like, okay, now I need to be left alone. And so that's how I recoup. It's like, I need to be left alone <laughs> so I can recoup. So that you will tend to find that introverts don't like small talk. So when I'm looking at um, doing a portrait, I'm looking for a facial expression that I go, I want to have this conversation as opposed to this is just small talk to me. Like it, it, that expression doesn't really say anything of substance to me. So I'm not interested. Right. Uh, I'm kind of seeing how those two things relate to what is an analogy, but it's it's basically that's what's happening is that if there doesn't seem to be depth, philosophical depth in the expression, my mind isn't interested in that. So I wait to get that excited feeling like I want to have this conversation and I go, that's the one. So then I will usually, you know, print off the image and, um, you know, it's nice to have a big image, but I actually um tend to try to work from smaller images. And there's a reason for that. I, uh, While I'm inclined to a bit of a realistic style, I say a bit of a realistic style. The reason I say a bit is because, you know, to me, 
the faces look realistic, but when you look at them up close, you can see that there's like a ton of different colors inside of it, right? Whereas, you know, most of the time when we think realism, we think like the colors are exactly what everybody else sees, (laughs) okay? So um, I'm inclined to a bit of a realistic um, style, and I... I don't want to get so bogged down in realism that the painting dies. That it's just, well, I might as well take a photograph and give you a photograph at this point, right? So I actually like purposely uh, making it a little harder on myself to go there by shrinking my image down a bit in terms of my reference so that I have to go, what am I seeing? And then, and then more, what am I feeling now? To, to create the, the large painting in front of me. Does that make sense when you think about it that way, Matthew? Yes, absolutely. And uh, this kind of brings it to a follow-up here. You know, we, we all remember Robin Leffler from Star Trek TNG, Ashley Judd in the game. And yeah. you know, Robin has her rules that she gets by in life. So I'm curious if Kavita has any rules to how she makes her artwork. Ooh, yes. Um, and, and rules can be broken. Yes, they should be. <laughs> Yes. Um, actually, I will say my husband is a graphic artist and um, he said, uh, and, and it sounds, by the way, like he got a better education than I did in art. <laughs> he went to graphic design school. He probably did. Yes, absolutely. They definitely taught them a lot more than I learned in fine art, right? And um, one of the things that they did was they, they taught them about composition and design and all the rest of that stuff. Yeah, we don't get that um, in fine arts. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. They're like, here. Go buy some paint, canvas, and I'll show me what you can do, right? Don't, don't chew the paintbrushes. Get lost, kid. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, and so one of his his teachers, um, you know, would teach them these rules for design and composition and all the rest of it, and, and then said, you need to know and understand the rules and understand why they work, et cetera, before you break them. So, um, and, and that, I, like, that was something he was taught but it makes sense to me to go, okay, there are rules and these rules work. You need to understand why they work so that you can see those moments where it's not going to work here. This is why. And so one of the rules that I have, if, if you want to call it a rule, is that whenever I'm doing a portrait, I almost always, 99% of the time, I start with a cadmium yellow base on their skin, like their entire face, neck, whatever it is, whatever skin is showing, cadmium yellow. I was wondering, because so I've seen some progress photos where you basically you have an underpainting, essentially, that is all yellow. So I was curious, like, why that color? Why that? That's interesting. And, and so I have come to, to learn through my own process that that yellow allows warmth and glow to show up from the underside of whatever it is you're painting on top of it. So remember I said 99% of the time. So once in a while, I will look at a person and I will go, that's not what's underneath there. It's more orange or more this or whatever it is. And so uh, while that is my, uh, my rule, as it were, I'm still always trying to pay attention to what's in front of me so that I notice when that's, that rule does not apply here. I'd like to kind of follow up with that, too, on just uh, at this point, you know, how does your yoga influence your art? And hearing what you're saying right now, it kind of reminds you of like, are you looking at almost like an aura or an iridescence from within the painting? Like, like how do these two things marry together if they do marry together in your art? 
Well, the, 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 the part of it that marries together is exactly what I was just saying, where I try to pay attention to go, is this moment different, basically? Do I break the rule now? And so one of the things that we learned, you know, yoga teaches you is that the mind likes to rubber stamp things. So, um, you know, the brain perceives things, your eyes, your nose, your mouth, et cetera, it takes in information and then your mind creates a concept based on that information. Well, as you go along, the mind gets, and most of us, all of us, gets faster and faster. And then the, the brain is trying to take in information and the mind just grabs it away and says, look, oh, for God's sakes, it's this. It rubber stamps it. This is what you're looking at. Move on, right? It's like if I were to pick up uh, you know, this cup in my hand, my brain starts to take in the information based on touch, based on sight, etc. And my, my mind goes, you've seen this a million times. It's a cup and it rubber stamps. To say it's a cup, right? And if you allow yourself to become that unconscious, which is natural to become that unconscious, it's really easy to miss when that's not a cup that's in front of you, where there's something different about it. You're just not paying enough attention to notice that it's different in some way. So, you know, with the paintings, like I said, it's like almost 99% of the time it's, it's cadmium yellow, cadmium yellow. But I always still pause to go, is that what I'm actually seeing when I look at this person? And, and yeah, 99% of the time we can, yeah, cadmium yellow, there's your rubber stamp. But I always want to be able to go, wait a minute, this moment is different, pay attention. And so that's definitely a part where my, my yoga shows up. You know, from a, um, a physiological viewpoint, you're seeing the blood flow under the person's skin and all the rest of that stuff. But from an artistic viewpoint, you're also seeing everything that's reflected around them. So there was one exercise that I can recall at university that was helpful. Like this lesson actually stuck in my head. Just the one. Just this one, right? <laughs> and um, it was a lesson where... They asked us, they, they, they said, okay, get a shoebox. And you had to paint these little squares of different colors. So like a pink or whatever it is, right? And then you took the square and you put it at the back of the shoebox. And then you had another square of white paper out here. And you were trying to look in that shoebox, that color, and paint what you were seeing on this square that was outside of the, the shoebox. And one of the things that you learned was not only, you know, being inside of the box, therefore shadow and whatnot would affect the color, but what you were wearing that day. So if I tried to paint it today, I would have to mix it differently than if I painted it tomorrow when the day I was wearing a teal blouse or something, right? And so that lesson really stuck where I, I realized that there's reflective light and color in the world around us constantly. Um, but, you know, also related to that from a, a yoga viewpoint, uh, yin and yang, the entire universe, according to yoga and, and Buddhism and Taoism and all the rest of that stuff, is basically yin and yang. They refer to it as, as, you know, yin is female, yang is male, female and male energy. It's not about men and women. It's about passive and active, external and internal, hot and cold. And if you've seen the yin yang symbol, which has the, the black teardrop with the little white dot and the white teardrop with the little black dot, it's meant to teach you that, first of all, both are always at play simultaneously. They, they're both present right now. Both yin and yang is present in whatever experience you're having. 
and that inside of what seems like a yang experience, there is a bit of yin. Whatever seems like a yin, there's a bit of yang. And that the reason these teardrops flow into one another is that one begets the other, right? And that's a really important lesson. And so one of the things that I've really gotten to see playing out when I'm doing my portraits, especially, is that when I'm painting someone's face, there's always cool colors and warm colors. And there needs to be both. Otherwise, it, it doesn't work. Yin and yang needs to present themselves throughout the painting in order for the painting to work. And I guess to kind of make a reference for folks as well, you know, like right now I can see the Sulu piece behind you and I can see that you've got yourself yellow as your warm and then there's kind of purples in there to kind of cool it down as well. And that's kind of, that's kind of okay. what you're talking about? Absolutely. Let's take a look at Sarek in this piece here. That's Sarek doing a mind meld with Kirk. Yes, indeed. So, you know, I'm going to kind of get him up close to the camera. But you can definitely see like there's pinks and whatnot, but then there are blues right next to it. Can you see that? Like blue purples? Mm, yeah. Right in there. There's a lot of orange in there. But again, we're going back to these purples. And so these there's a mixture of these cool and these warm colors that need to actually sit with right next to one another in order for the eye to go, that's right. Right. And you know. Sometimes it's a bit of an intellectual process for me where I have to remind myself, you know, probably you should put in, put a little bit more of this in. But for the most part, this, this might be of interest um, to your viewers, etc. here, Matthew. For the most part, uh, I've had many fans ask me, like, how do you, how do you paint all these colors? Like, how, like, is there all these colors but it looks real. So like, how do you know what to paint? And my honest answer is I paint what I see. And I, it's a question that I have to ask myself because I go, okay, that's what I see. And I, I thought to myself, I guess what happens is I see what everybody else sees. And then my mind exaggerates color. So when I look at you, Matthew, for example, I see some really interesting oranges and pinks and kind of a gray blue right where your beard is and the, the side of your cheek. Like I'm seeing all those colors when I look at your face, right? So if no, I was going to so paint colorful. you, like, well, right. Okay. And that's what I see. And so I've always kind of assumed that I'm seeing what you see, but did, then my mind almost magnifies the, the color. Like it focuses in and then sees that. But I was uh, doing a bit of reading just a few days ago. And because um, I'm writing a yoga philosophy book right now. And so I was doing a little bit of reading on uh, our sensory perception, because what I was saying in this yoga philosophy book is that um, every, like all that exists, it can't necessarily be seen. Like just because something cannot be seen doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And I was saying that as human beings, for example, our senses are, are quite limited, even when we compare it to other animals, Right. So, um, you know, looking at the number of rods that we have in our eyes in order to perceive like uh, our, our, you know, our perceptors and that type of thing. And it occurred to me, I've got a student of mine who, when he was seven years old, he got uh, meningitis and meningitis produced a massive fever and his brain, because he was seven, was still developing and as a result, it changed the way his brain developed, and it actually produced twice the number of rods in his eyes that the average person has. Ah. 
what that means is that he can sit in the dark and read a book, right? And it, it had never occurred to me, but I had a moment the other day when I was writing my book and I thought, I've always assumed that I'm seeing what everybody else is seeing and my mind's just exaggerating it. But what if my perceptors are a little different? I, I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's a tough question to kind of figure out. And yeah, you know, the more I'm talking to you, especially the more I can really see the the yogic elements in your artwork. And I guess a big part of that will be the balance, because uh, you're very much you know what you're doing is very much about balance. Um, yes. So I'm kind of curious here about this. You know, um, let, let's say right now I'm talking to the the Captain Kirk artist Kavita, if you will. But what if I was talking to the Khan Noonien Singh Kavita? You know, like at what point do you, does your yoga maybe? influence your art in, in maybe almost not, not a negative way, but in, in a different sort of way. Or I mean, you know, here your work is so balanced and it's so very <laughs> much, you know, the yin and the yang. What would happen if your work was more unhinged? And like, you know, the way I see it is right now your color is very grounded, even though there's a lot of bright colors, that kind of thing. It still is very grounded with the concept of balance. What would happen if you went beyond this balance? Like what would happen if you started exploring more fauvist colors almost, or just getting a little bit more wild? Well, you know, I, I'll kind of give you a, uh a little tiny peek, not not necessarily for the Faubus color type thing. But when I was growing up, even at university, I remember, like, even if I painted a sky, there was going to be a rainbow of colors in that sky. And I really, honestly, Matthew, thought it was a weakness. And I remember actually at one point in time trying to paint a painting with just three colors because I was trying to force myself to stop painting with so many colors And it took me years to come to the sudden realization that that was me. And it wasn't actually a weakness. It was my strength. It was my style. Um, And, you know, it didn't mean that it was my style in its most evolved state, but it was my style to, to have all this color. And uh, so once I got to the place where I could accept that that was me, then actually the balance started to become more obvious in my paintings where my, the way I used color wasn't just so loud and so overwhelming where it was like, there's no balance and it's just color. Before that, it was just, it was just color constantly. Now I've learned how to balance it. And it honestly started with accepting that that was who I was. And so again, it goes back to yoga, right? Where it's like, when you can't accept who you are, your mind becomes incredibly agitated and it shows in your life. Like what you create like on the canvas or we create in your life is, is, is chaotic mm. because you just can't accept who you are. But the moment you actually choose to accept that, that this is who I am. Now you can start evolving to the best version of who you are. So you know, this will be basically I, like the distilled version of Kavita. This is the essence of Kavita, what we're seeing now. Yes. So, you know, you can see that with, Anybody, anybody where there's an aspect of themselves, they just, they don't think it's okay. And that thing, instead of it disappearing, will become, uh, how does the expression go? Um, Swinging the the cat around by its tail, as it were, right? Where if you, if there's something about yourself that you refuse to accept, that thing actually becomes more powerful and less controllable by you. And so for me, color, when I wouldn't accept it, became this thing that just appeared all over the canvas without very much balance. Whereas now, because I accept that this is who I am and that it excites me 
to paint color, then I'm able to balance it because I'm able to keep going, A, this is who I am, but B, this aspect is what I'm, I'm excited about. It's not everything I'm excited about. This is, and for me, I almost see it as a paring down to your values again. Like you're not going to react to everything. You're just going to react to the things you actually value. So this aspect of color there is what excites you. So you focus in on that and then you have all this calmness over here as a result. Well, let's throw a little uh, fire into that calmness, if you will, because, you know, we talked about how you are an officially licensed painter of Star Trek things. Mm -hmm. And along with being officially licensed means that you do have a little bit of a watchful eye under you at times. And that would be in the form of Paramount. They're kind of making sure they do things, I guess, in the way that they want things done. So uh, I'd like to know how much influence does Paramount have over what you do? How much say do they have in what you can or can't do or how a piece looks? I mean, have, I don't even know maybe if you ever had a piece that they were just like, yeah, no, we can't use this before. But, uh, you know, like, how, how does your relationship with them work? You know, honestly, and I'm being completely honest, they have been fantastic to work with. As an artist, they've been fantastic to work with. They, for the most part, they just let me do my thing. But, but, the big but here um, comes along when it's time to get, um, time to get permission. So uh, approval for a piece that I can now offer to fans. And as a generality, to be be honest, it hasn't been paramount that's, uh, you know, kind of put up roadblocks. Um, It will have been like uh, an actor or an estate that would have put up a roadblock. Um, There is a piece that I did not bring in here. I I did bring it in and I took it out. Um, And it's a piece that I did of um, Valeris and Spock from Star Trek... Oh my goodness. Is it six, wasn't it? Six. I think it's six. Yeah. Where he does the mind melt with her uh, to, to try to find out where everything's taking place and who's involved. Um, and I find it such a powerful scene, right? So I painted this painting and I have to say, Matthew, I am so thrilled with the painting. I love the painting. And I, I, I hemmed and hawed over offering this painting to fans because I know it's a controversial scene. And um I eventually thought, look, I love this painting and I think it's an important part of Spock's story. So I'm going to offer this to fans. So I sent it for approval and Paramount, who was CBS at the time, no problem and whatnot. The problem was that Susan Nimoy wanted me to change to de-age Spock. (laughs) And I said no. (laughs) So what I come upon is, you know, the, as an artist, like how much do you adjust your art uh, for someone else's vision? Um, and I have to admit that most of the time I say no. <laughs> and uh, what it might mean then is that I don't get to offer that to fans. I still have the painting and I'm still, I still love the painting and it's still in my collection, but I don't necessarily put out prints at that point in time. Um I have to, I do have to say that um, I've only ever had a roadblock um, a couple of times, and both times it was actually the Nimoy estate. Oh, that's, that's surprising to hear, though. I mean, uh, but it makes sense, though, because, you know, when it comes down to licensing also, licensing is not just this big over-encompassing umbrella. It can also be many people in that umbrella. And I guess in this case, <laughs> Paramount is kind of the overseer, but they still need to see permission from the estates, like you mentioned. So. That, that, I can imagine that can be a little bit annoying uh, at times where you've got something you want to do, but you can't do it now. 
Well, well, yeah, and, and you have to remind yourself that um, everybody everybody has their values, right? I have my values as an artist. I want to be true to my vision and, and that type of thing. Um, and then, you know, someone else on the other side has their values related to um, the person's image and how they want them to be portrayed and want them to be seen and that type of thing. And um, they are absolutely entitled to those values. Like this, I can't tell them I'm allowed mine, but you're not allowed yours, right? Well, I could, but that would not be very noble. <laughs> that would not be an evolved self. Not so much, no. Now, I think I remember seeing some time ago on your social media how uh, you talked about starting to paint starships in some of your work. Uh, yeah. And I was curious to hear a little bit about that because, you know, from my perspective, uh, you know, I, I'm in my drawings, I'm more of a naturalist. Anyway, I have a hard time drawing technical things like starships, like cars, things like that. Uh, and especially a Star Trek ship, it's just such a crazily engineered looking thing. So uh, how was that experience for you to do something so mechanical when you're used to doing things that are very natural? Well, um, to be honest, uh, first thing is I avoided doing the ships initially. And it was because my interest is in human experience. And so the human being was my subject. And fans asked me, you know, will you do ships? Will you do ships? And I said, probably not, <laughs> right? And then eventually I thought, look, let me let me try. So one of the things, again, philosophically, I try to expand my willingness to face down life experiences, right? Like the mind has its attachments and its aversions, but I try to kind of crowbar open myself a little bit to go, could you at least try and see how you like the experience? Don't assume you won't like it, <laughs> right? <laughs> and uh, I, actually, I, before I com- you know complete my answer here, did you have you ever seen the the movie Revolver? It's a Guy Ritchie film. Ever seen that one? I have not seen Anything that one. Now. No. Okay, highly recommend it. Not to be watched by younger audiences. It's quite violent. Okay, it's a Guy Ritchie film um, with Jason Statham and uh, Ray Liotta's in it and whatnot. And you think you're watching a gangster flick, the whole movie. And then when you get to the end of it, you realize the entire thing was about the ego, like literally about the ego. In fact, during the credits, watch the credits. There'll be psychologists talking about the ego and how it works and that type of thing. And when you're done, you'll be like, I think I need to watch that movie again. (laughs) You'll have to start again, right? But there is um, a part in the movie where Jason Statham is narrating and he, his character is uh, claustrophobic and he comes, he, he, he walks towards an elevator and he's like, he decides he's going to take the stairs and he's narrating and he says, why should a man do what he doesn't want to do? And later on, you know, the, the answer to that is revealed as they're talking about the rules of chess because they're, discuss- they're discussing the rules of chess, but they're actually discussing the ego. And they said that basically the opponent, the enemy, hides where you will not look. So that's why I try to crowbar open my experiences. So even though I go, yeah, probably not, I will paint ships, there came a point where I'm like, paint a ship and see how you feel about it, right? And I have to admit, I actually really quite enjoyed exploring the ship. And I got quite excited about it um, in a different way, but still quite excited about it. And so all of a sudden, it was like, yeah, I, I could really enjoy painting some ships as well. And became a good way of kind of bouncing back and forth so that I didn't get um, what you described at, at, at school, myopic and how you were approaching your art, right? Yeah. Um, 
So, you know, for myself, when I'm, I'm painting the ships, I thought it would be overwhelming painting these mechanical things compared to a human being. But actually, there are a couple things about me. One is I love detail. I get really happy when I'm painting detail. I remember a friend of mine who used to paint with me watching me and I'd make these little happy sounds when I was painting really fine detail on a piece. And she's like, oh my God, that would drive me crazy. <laughs> she was watching me paint. And the same thing that she was like, that would drive me crazy was making me so happy to work on detail. So that's one thing. And so ships really kind of fill that well for me where it's like detail, right? But the other thing is that my mind really likes figuring out how things work and why they are the way they are. So whether I'm painting a human being or I'm painting, you know, a starship, my mind is looking at this going, why does it look that way? How can I make it look that way on my canvas using paint and brushes and whatnot? So it's puzzle, it's solving a puzzle and that excites me. So um, it was way less um, sterile, way less overwhelming from a mechanical viewpoint than I even thought it would be. And I was very happy about that. So, Kavita, you know, we talked a little bit earlier, too, about the licensing as well. And we talk about Starships now, this kind of thing, too. Uh, so, you know, a lot of stuff that we're seeing with your artwork, especially what's behind you, is pretty much original series or it's TNG. So I'm wondering, how come we haven't seen any DS9, any Voyager, any Enterprise, or even any of the new Star Trek shows? Is there is there a story behind that? Well, actually, um, there are a couple things to, to, to note there. Uh, so I do have some DS9, not people yet from DS9. Um, I did a painting called The Doorway, and it is of the, um, it's of the wormhole and the DS9 space station that's, that's uh, behind there. I really, really loved doing that piece. And uh, it's been well-received by fans, that one. But I haven't done any any people yet. I have had some fans going, can you please do Cisco, right? And I do plan to, to work on Cisco as an example. And um, Bashir, I like Bashir. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and that type of thing. Um, but one of the things that you also need to know about licensing is when you do, when you become officially licensed, it's in your contract which properties you're allowed to work with. So in my particular license, um, I'm licensed for the original series, I'm li- licensed for TNG, I'm licensed for Voyager, um, and I'm licensed for DS9, and um, I'm also licensed for Discovery. I did do one Discovery painting. Um, and I, it was at the Emperor, uh, uh, the, yeah, the Emperor. Em- Emperor Giorgio. Yeah. Empress Giorgio. Um, yes. And I love the reason I was like her is because of that outfit. <laughs> Again, detail, right? Like if I hated detail, I was not painting that painting. But uh, that I, I worked on her and I'm really happy with how that turned out. Um, so I do have these other properties, these other Star Trek, Trek properties in my license. And I do actually intend to start expanding um, into th- th- those aspects of the universe for, uh, you know, my portraits as well as my ships, etc. cetera. Um, so it's definitely in there. Um, I, I want to rewatch Voyager. And the reason I want to rewatch Voyager, I actually would like to rewatch Voyager and I would like to rewatch um, DS9. DS9 because you know, it's, it's so complicated, right? It's so politically complicated. And for me to, uh, 
you know, this, this is not just an exercise I'm doing where I'm like, hey, show me a, a photo and I'm going to paint you a, a, a painting. For me, it's like, I want to have a conversation. I want it to have meaning and depth to me, first of all, primarily as the artist, because I want to say something about that. So in order to do it, I need to understand the entire arc. I need to understand the, the, the characters and their relationships and their struggles and all that, even if I'm, you know, just painting this right here. And so I want to actually spend the time to rewatch DS9 and I want to spend the time to watch uh, Voyager because when I saw Voyager, which I remember enjoying, I was uh, in high school slash university and I actually didn't watch a lot of TV consistently at that point because my focus was on my studies. And so I know that I did not see all of Voyager. And so it's one of those things where I'm like, right, from the ground up, I'm going to watch the show. I'm going to enjoy my homework. <laughs> but I feel like I don't want to proceed with a painting on any of those unless it's coming from a, a, a place where I feel like I have I've really given consideration to who these people are, who these characters are, what their story is, what the struggles are, because again, that's what I value. So it's coming is the short answer. Okay. That's all I needed to hear. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's it's coming. <laughs> that makes me happy. <laughs> so, you know, we mentioned that your work has to go through kind of an approval process, typically by estates and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do know, I guess that, 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 that does mean that the celebrities, the actors are seeing your work. But have you ever had a chance to actually interact with any of them in person and be like, hey, this is my painting. Remember me? Yes. So um, one of the uh, one of the paintings that's behind me here, I'm just going to grab this. Ta-da. So this is The Kiss. And this piece was actually commissioned by Michelle Nichols. Oh, wow. Yeah. So this one, and then there's another one which I don't have in the space with me, but it's her Mirror Mirror Opera which uh-huh. is under my special editions on uh, the Retrospect Studios website. So she commissioned both of those pieces and she was lovely when I, I met her several times. Lovely human being. Honestly, um, it felt like sitting down and just chatting with my grandmother is what it felt like. Really lovely human being, very, very warm, very affectionate. Um, I mean, the hug I got out of her the first time I, I met her alone was great. <laughs> so, so that was lovely. I have had, um, I have had William Shatner actually request, um, prints of my pieces because apparently he's been, uh, quite happy with several of my pieces. But I'm going to tip to the side here that right there at the back there, that's uh, one to beam up. You can see of, of Shatner in the back. And he really liked that piece. So he asked for a print for his um, his charity, but he also asked for one for his personal collection from that piece. And this piece, apparently, he really loved as well, the um, the mind meld between him and Sarah. So it's always nice to, to get that feedback uh, from the actors to know when they're really happy with it. I, I am a little sad that Leonard Nimoy was never able to see any of the spots that I, I did because he it has been my main impetus for, for these paintings. Um, but I have actually the, the spot that's behind me right there. That one's called Remembering Leonard. And that one was actually uh, a piece that was done in collaboration with Julie Nimoy and her husband. 
So um, I was chatting with them and they asked me if I would be willing to do this, uh, this piece and whatnot. And so it was a collaboration and I, I enjoyed that process as well. You know, one of the things I ha- had mentioned, you know, before I became licensed, I said I'd put up this, um, this anonymous Instagram page and whatnot. Well, because the uh, fans were getting quite excited and it was, it was spreading quite quickly, um, I was contacted by George Takai Presents wow. and they wanted to do, you know, they wanted to do a video on me. And I was like, oh, my God, because... I said to my husband, I'm like, I can barely handle the number of people contacting me right now wanting to buy these pieces. I'm like, he's got millions of followers. Like if, if, if we put up a video about my work, I'm like, I don't even know how to handle that is what I said to my husband. And I was, I was genuinely terrified <laughs> if I'm being very honest. And um for about two days, <laughs> which does not sound long, but for me, that's a long time <laughs> uh, because I'm somebody, like I said earlier, like I, I like challenges. You give me a challenge, I'm there, right? But this time I I froze a little bit. I was like, I don't, I don't know that I can do this. I, it was an overwhelming thought for me. And I did something that I have done in previous cases in my life. And what I did was I fast forwarded in my head to a future. And in this future, I had not done it. I had not done the video with George Takai Presents. And immediately when I went into this future where I had not done it, I was disappointed in myself. I was disappointed that I had not been braver. And the moment I saw that by not doing this, I was guaranteeing that I would be disappointed in my lack of bravery, I decided I was going to do it. Whatever happened was I would deal with it, but I was not going to be disappointed in myself by not being braver. (laughs) And, you know, so, you know, in that story, really, it was about going, like, what is it that I value? And for me, like, being a noble human being means being courageous. And you can't be courageous if you're not scared. That's one of the other things. Like you have to be scared if if you're going to be courageous. If you're not scared, that's not courage, <laughs> right? Um, and so I value being a courage a courageous human being because I value being noble. And for me, I went, mm, if you don't do this, you are not adhering to the values that you hold. So step up. <laughs> and here we are today. I feel like we're getting so many life lessons out of this episode. This is amazing. Oprah's <laughs> <laughs> got nothing on this episode. <laughs> I'm so I'm so thrilled to do this with you, honestly, Matt. So, Kavita, I think you know I've seen you answer the question on a few of the websites, which was basically about general advice for people who want to paint professionally or things like that. But uh, you know, I want to dig a little bit deeper with you because that's what we like to do in the show. And again, we've gotten so many awesome life lessons. Let's see what else I can get out of you in these last ninety minutes here of the show. Uh, you know, I'd like to get, I guess, maybe some advice from you on how an artist can find their voice, uh, especially because you know I see you as an artist who really has found her voice, has found what she wants to say with her work and and knows how to get it out there. So what kind of advice would you give to an artist who is not where you are yet, who's still trying to find their voice uh, and perhaps even kind of finding their intrinsic purpose with their art? Well, one of the things, and and you use the word intrinsic, and I think right there, right there, there's a lot of value in that word, intrinsic, right? Um, Whatever it is that lights you up, is integrated into all aspects of your life. And that's really important to understand is that it doesn't just occur in your art. 
it's no matter what you do, as, as the expression goes, wherever you go, there you are. Well, whatever you do, there you are. Whatever you do, there's your value system. There's the thing that lights you up. So, you know, if you're struggling to find what your voice in your art, it's most likely because you're actually struggling to accept your voice in your life. So start looking for places in your life where you go, I am really happy when I am doing this. Don't worry about the fact that nobody else thinks that the thing that lights you up has value. Okay. And I, I will I will remind you guys that growing up, my parents were not supportive of my love of Star Trek, okay, at all. Okay. And yet it lit me up and it continued to stay with me my whole life until it's like, there it is. Right. And so if you're struggling to find your voice in your art, really it's about trying to figure out what you uh, are about, what you're happy about in, in the world. What would you spend all of your energy and time on willingly? Do that, whatever that is. Okay. It's very easy to get bogged down in trying to create this end product in your mind. So, you know, I I mentor um, a lot of of students. And one of the things that happens is everybody's like, well, what's my, what's in yoga? We call it dharma. What's my dharma? What's my life purpose? What's my duty? And everybody's thinking, well, I need to have this completely uh, sculpted finished product. That's what I'm supposed to do with my life. Well, the truth is your dharma, your your duty, your voice is, is really to just be you in every experience that you have. And who you are is your value system. So it's important for you to kind of uh, pare that down, the things that really matter to you, okay, that you value and that light you up. And that is going to shine like this, this, this beam to where, you, you know, what you're supposed to be doing, where you're supposed to be going. Don't worry about the fact that you can only see this far in front of you. You're not, you're not supposed to see the end of the road. Yeah, I feel like if this was like a sneak preview of what your yoga philosophy book is going to be like, then you need to sign me up for like a signed hardcover edition because, wow, <laughs> some great stuff here. You're giving it away for free. So thank you for that. You're most welcome. It's my pleasure. So, yeah, and too, I think as we're talking about this, you kind of maybe even rethink a little bit about how I feel about Spock because from how we've discussed him today, I almost feel like Spock is like the embodiment of yoga in Star Trek, which I'm shocked to think about. But I mean, is that kind of how you view him? Yeah, absolutely. Like Spock is is a stoic and yogis are stoics. He's a stoic, right? Um, and, and one of the things I like about how, you know, Roddenberry created Vulcans, wrote Vulcans, is like at the beginning there's a tendency to go, oh, well, they don't feel anything. No, they, they feel stuff. What, what it is, is that they learn how to master those feelings, how to deal with them, right? Um, and that, that, that's what yoga is about. It's like, yeah, you know what? You're going to get mad. You're going to get sad. You're going to get feel jealousy. You're a human being. You're going to have all of these things. Your job is to learn how to allow these human experiences to come up in you, not harm anybody when they do, <laughs> okay? And not, and then allow yourself to learn what those things are trying to show you and then choose based on your values, how you want to respond, how do you want to act? And I think um, when you think about Spock and you think about the Vulcans, when they're, you know, being really well written, really well portrayed, that's what they're demonstrating. They actually demonstrate how to be a good human being. 
that just completely changed my perspective on what Vulcans are. So that that's a really, really amazing way to look at it. And I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, so Kavita, last thing for today here, uh, what is the best thing about being a part of the Star Trek universe? Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, you know, we've been chatting for, you know, well over an hour at this point, And that is the hardest question <laughs> that you just asked. <laughs> what is the best thing? Oh, my goodness. You know, I absolutely, and I really mean this, I absolutely love hanging out with the Star Trek fans when I get to go to events. You know, it's been a couple of years since I've actually been at an event, but I love hanging out with the Star Trek fans. Um, you know, I, I've got my, um, the Retrospect Studios Facebook page and once in a while I'll do, I'll do a live. And so I don't get to physically be in the space with the fans, but I love talking to them. And I would probably say that that is the thing I love best about being part of this universe is that I get to spend time with a lot of Star Trek fans and uh, it lights me up, makes me happy. And for folks who are maybe this is their first time hearing about you, which if it is shame on them, but now they know (laughs) uh, what's the best way they can keep up to tabs with what you're doing at Retrospect Studios. Well, um, they can actually check me out on Instagram and that my handle on Instagram is a, a little different. It's at Commander Spock UFP as in United Federation of Planets. And the reason that it was that, because remember, I, I started that one anonymously. I didn't even put anything on there. It's like Commander Spock. That's my purpose. Um, and they can also check me out on Facebook. Um, I, if I remember correctly, my, the Facebook page is uh, retrospectstudios.art. Okay. Um, and then of course there's the website and the website is where you're going to see all of the pieces that are available to fans, etc. And you can contact me through the website and the website is retrospectstudios.ca. So we're going to have links for all that in the show notes. So if you want to check out some more about Kavita, some more about our artwork or pick up some prints, we're going to have places you can do that. Yeah. Uh, Kavita, you know, this has been a lot of fun. Again, like I was excited to talk to somebody about art today, but I feel like we've gotten so much more. And that's because really, you know, uh, as my uncle used to say, who I, I, I'll send you a link later. He did, uh, I did a whole documentary about him. He was a painter also. Uh, you know, yeah. he always said art is life. And uh, I think you're very much the embodiment of that in such a unique way. Uh, the fact that you have this yoga to go along with the art, it's just such a, a unique marriage of elements and it, it totally works. And, and getting to know you now, I feel not only just, you know, closer to you, but also to the artwork and to the pieces itself. There's so much of you in them, which, you know, it, it's unexpected because, uh, you know, we're talking about Star Trek portraits, but there is so much Kavita in every single piece that you've done of Spock, of Kirk, of Picard, of all these folks. So uh, thank you today for enlightening us on your process, on you, and uh, just, I, I guess, really all these great life lessons that we got through your art and through your yoga, especially. Well, honestly, Matthew, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. That's it for this week's episode of Trek Untold, and thank you for checking it out. One more time, if you're not following us on social media, please do so by checking us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Trek Untold. That's all one word, no spaces, on any of those platforms. If you want to check out the video version of this podcast to see our guests, head over to youtube.com slash nerdnewstoday, where I post the video version of this show every Sunday after the initial episode airs on Thursdays. Shout out to our sponsor, Triple Fiction Productions who create 3D-printed toys and prop replicas inspired by Star Trek. Their items come in all shapes and all sizes and are always amazing. If you're in a position to financially support Trek Untold, please consider heading over to patreon.com slash trekuntold to become one of our Patreon supporters. There's a lot of cool perks that you can get by becoming a Patreon supporter, including early access to the episodes, the ability to ask our guests questions, and a lot more cool stuff coming very soon. Please consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes or any other audio platforms that you listen to the show on that allow you to do so. 
Or if you're one of our YouTube audience members, please make sure you comment on this video and give it a thumbs up, and don't forget to subscribe to our channel. Until next time, I'm Matthew Kaplowitz. This has been Trek Untold, and remember, fortune favors the bold. Trek Untold is sponsored by treksphere.com. Promoting fan-produced Star Trek content in all forms is powered by the Rageworks Podcasting Network and is affiliated with Nerd News Today.